1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58. So who do these Christians think they are? They, they have these flabby, fleshy bodies. And these bodies are going to be resurrected? What? Let's lunacy. Okay, you're going to have a resurrection body. Well, what body will it be? Will it be your baby body? Are you going to come back as a little baby in diapers? Uh, oh, no, maybe it's going to be your teenage body. You'll go through adolescence and puberty all over again. Uh, or maybe you'll come back as an old and wrinkled grandpa. You know, we, we can just imagine the contemptuous questions that would be thrown around, as I said, in the cultural context of Corinth um, in the first century where physicality was considered bad. I, I, I mean, take what would be considered by 99.9% of Americans as an idea that is completely bonkers. And that was the equivalent of resurrection in, in their day. And here it is, the Christians are saying, um, renewal will come when our bodies are renewed. Not when our souls leave our bodies altogether, um, but it will come uh, in, in the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 goes into great detail about the nature of the resurrection. And the passage we have today is dense, warning you, it's dense, it's a little hard to follow, and I'll try my best to unpack it. But what I want to do is, is to just talk about what it means to live with hope in that resurrection body that is yet to come. It seems like we have way more pessimism about our future than we've almost ever had. I mean, why do, why do so many people spend um, the end of their days drinking so much alcohol? I mean, alcoholism is, is a real and on-the-rise issue in our country, and they're just numbing the pain or, or mindlessly watching shows on our phones. That's what we do. And the shows that are not even very good, but we're so bored with life. Life feels lifeless today. And studies show that, you know, for the first time in America, that the majority of young people believe that their, their life won't be better, that won't be more, more prosperous than the lives of their, their parents, what their parents have experienced. It seems like in our cultural moment right now, there's nothing people are really looking forward to. It's just, a, it's a, a blah. And if, if we don't live with the future hope, if we don't know for certain that we have a, a joyful future ahead of us, then it's going to affect every, every day and, and every aspect of our lives. Um, I'll ask you, do you know that you have a bright tomorrow? And if so, can you describe it to me in greater detail? That's what I want you to be able to do by the end of this sermon. Verse 35 and following. Uh, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Here are the contemptuous questions I was speaking of. Verse 36. You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And, and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed perhaps of wheat or, or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Uh, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and a, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different than that of the earthly ones. Uh, there is a splendor of the sun, an, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. Well, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, 
raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Now, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Uh, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, uh, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we, all, we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this, in, this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. We ask your help, O Holy Spirit, to understand these, uh, these challenging words from the Apostle Paul. And, and not only to give us understanding, but to place in us a, a true joyful hope about our future that is ahead of us. Give us a vision of what uh, is in store, and we know that you will finish it completely and bring it to pass because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, very dense, maybe a little hard to follow. Break it down to four principles. Number one, dying brings life. So here, at the very beginning of the passage, you notice that he uses uh, several metaphors from agriculture. And the first one in verse 36, he says, when you sow, that is like a seed, um, it does not come to life until it dies. And wh what does he mean by that? Well, a seed is sown into the ground, and metaphorically speaking, you know, when you put the little seed there, cover it up with dirt, essentially the seed is buried, isn't it? It falls into the ground. It is covered by dirt. It goes into the grave, metaphorically. And there in the soil, the seed starts to break down some. Um, but, but all of that must happen in order for a little green sprout to come out of it. And if there's ever going to be new life to come, it has to first be buried in the grave. And this is very similar to what Jesus himself said in John 12, 24. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And so here he is. He's using this agricultural metaphor. Sowing eventually produces fruit. It produces reaping. Dying eventually produces new life. Think about this for just a minute. It's amazing how 
taboo the topic of death is. We just don't talk about death for the most part, in polite conversation, do we? I was listening to an, a medical doctor uh, on Thursday. She was giving a talk uh, about her very first day walking into Yale New, ha- New Haven Hospital, uh, her first day as a doctor. And she said, when I walked into the hospital, my knees were, were literally knocking. <laughs> she said, I had knocking knees. I was so nervous. I was so kind of intimidated about my first day as, as a doc, and I felt so afraid and she said, I worked a 10-hour day that day, and at the end of the day, not only were my knees not knocking, but they never knocked again, because I had basically 10 hours of suffering, and viewing suffering, and, and death, and the, and the decay, and, and I saw it, you know, face to face. And that's how it is, isn't it? When we spend time with something that's uncomfortable to us, it, it tends to make it less scary. And if you look over the last 100 years in our culture, you know, we went from mostly dying at home to mostly dying in these sanitary institutions. And for that reason, you know, most of us have spent very little, if any time, at the bedside watching someone actually die, you know. I mean, Karen, you probably have as a nurse, but you, know, you think a hundred years ago, between infant the infant mortality rate being so high and child mortality being so high, and the fact that you know a lot of people, 150 years ago, you were going to die by the age of 40 or 50. Um, it, it was impossible not to see death face to face, to experience it, to talk about it, and yet that's it's not the case for us any longer. Uh, Woody Allen, the comedian. He said, famously, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and that's how so many of us are. Like, I don't, I don't want to be there when I die, and I don't want to talk about it with anybody. And we, it's taboo. It's, it's off limits. But Paul, Paul here is actually speaking strangely at the beginning here of the, the goodness of death insofar as he says, the point is, death, as terrible as it is, is a necessary con- condition of resurrection. Um, I don't know if I've shared this word with you before. Goethe Sacher. Have we? Have I given this illustration before? It's a German word, and obviously, <laughs> and it's what Christians from previous uh, generations would call cemeteries. They, they said cemeteries were Goethe Sackers, which, which, in, when translated into English, means God's acre. And so, in God's acre, they thought were many seeds sown into the ground, buried in that place, awaiting the harvest. And, you know, maybe I told you, maybe I didn't. You know, my mom is buried in South Chandler at Valley of the Sun Cemetery and, um, um, yeah, cemetery and crematory, whatever whatever you call them um, for cremation. And, And she died in 1999. I go and I visit her grave, you know, from time to time. There are three, two world's religions that place a premium on cremation, and they are Hinduism and Buddhism. And the reason they do is because they, they don't believe there's any lasting significance to uh, our, our bodies. You know, our bodies, we're supposed to lose our body and just return to, you say, uh, you know, to nirvana, like a drop of water that makes its way back to the ocean, so the self moves uh, to God or to nirvana. At least that's in their line of thinking. I've always tried to encourage Christians, for the most part, if they, if they can, not to be cremated, but to, to be buried, because your body 
taking this image from 1 Corinthians 15, is the seed that is going into to the ground. And so whenever I'm in, like, my mom's cemetery, whenever I'm in a cemetery at all, I try to look around and I say to myself, I am standing in God's acre because there are many seeds that are sown here that are, are going to blossom into life. So principle number one, yes, what uh, dying brings life. Principle number two, the thing that grows isn't the thing that's sown. At least it's not mostly the thing that is sown. And we know this. If you go to the garden center at Home Depot or Lowe's, uh, you can buy a bag of seed, can't you? And I, I particularly like the wildflower uh, flower mixtures. And, you know, there would be like dozen, maybe two different dozen different kinds of wildflower seeds in the bag. And each one of those seeds is, well, unexceptionable. And each seed is, is different. And each little seed ends up giving you this completely different and beautiful and exquisite wildflower after it's grown. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at in verses 37 and 38. He says, as for uh, what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds, its own body. You know, God gives them the seed, the, the, the body he has chosen. And each type of body is unique, and it's special, and it's different. But it goes through that incredible transformation from seed to flower. Or, I mean, in the case of an acorn, like, who in their right mind would look at an acorn and think, for instance that that seed could, could possibly have an oak tree inside of it. You're just looking at the seed. It's a mystery how you get from how the one leads to the other. And, and that's part of Paul's point, too. Like, our bodies are subject to death and decay, and they don't look very good when, we are, you, when we're dead. Um, if you've ever been at your bedside, at the bedside of, like, your grandmother or grandfather when they passed away, when the, the moment when they expelled, ex- exhaled their last breath— and, and the life of just goes out out of them. I mean, that seed, that body, it, it, it's, it's pretty horrible, isn't it? Um, but that seed goes into the ground, it gets planted, and it goes through this process of transformation. And God, at the end of it, brings a brand new, wonderful physicality, just like, you know, the acorn does with the, the oak tree. The thing that grows is, isn't the thing that is sown, principle two. Principle three, there are different physical things in this world, and some of them are more glorious than others. If you look at verse 39, you know, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. It, it would be a really strange world if if there were only there was only one kind of physicality like if there was only one type of body for everything if humans and animals and fish and birds all had the same body and the same shape and the same skin that would be a, a bit weird and it would be a bit boring but that's not the world that God has made it, when we look around we see there are all kinds of physical things but their physicality is is just different right the cardinal's flesh is not the, like the cow's flesh. It's not like the flesh of the clownfish. They're all different. And then he goes on, and he says, and in an even more profound way, 
The sun, the moon, and the stars, those two are, are physical, um, but they don't consist of what we would say flesh. They, they consist of, uh, verse 40, splendor is the word that he used. They're physical, but they're, they're radiant, they're full of glory, and that, he says, is somewhat emblematic of uh, the resurrection bodies. Well, you say, does that mean when we are resurrected, we're going to shine like, I don't know, these light bulbs in here? Are we going to, are we, is that what he's talking about when he speaks of the glory of that kind of physicality, that, that we won't be um, dark, but we will be light? And, and, and I guess the answer to that I would give is, I'm not sure, <laughs> but I think probably not. Because when you go to verse 43, here's the contrast that he makes between the, the old body and the new body. He says, the, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. When he describes a new body as having glory, it's in, it's in contrast to, to weakness or to shame or to humiliation of our dead bodies. He's not really contrasting it to darkness to a lack of light. And so I think the, the point that he is making is that the new bodies that we will inhabit will be overflowing, teeming with, with new life. I don't even have the words to describe it, do I? Uh, C.S. Lewis, though, does. He put it famously like this. He said, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating with energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. Uh, we will be like a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. And that, that is what we are in for, nothing less. Puts it so well. Uh, our present bodies, they, uh, they wear out, they get sick, they decay, they die, they return to the dust. And Paul's shorthand for all of that is corruption. Our present bodies are subject to corruption. Um, but deep in our hearts, every one of us knows that we were meant for something more, <laughs> better than that, more than that. Verse 42, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Everybody knows that we are meant for incorruption. Verse 44, Sown a natural body, raised a, a spiritual body. You know, our, our current bodies are weak, but the resurrected body will, will have a power that lasts forever. Our, our current bodies are, are natural, but our resurrected bodies will be spiritual, which doesn't mean that they will be immaterial, like lack physicality. No, but what it means is they will be suited to last for eternity in heaven. You know, unlike our, our natural corruptible bodies. Uh, I'm doing my best to try <laughs> and paint the picture for you. Uh, one of the topics that generated a lot of uh, questions back in the Middle Ages was uh, what age will our resurrection bodies be? You know, a great deal of ink was spent on, you know, that topic. And, and Thomas Aquinas, one of the middle, um, the, the great medieval theologians, he, he said that uh, we will come back to earth in our resurrection bodies at the age of 33. 
You say, well, why at 33? Well, because Thomas believed that Jesus died at 33. So he thought 33 was a magic number. And if Jesus was resurrected at the age of 33, then um, that would be the, the age that all of us would be resurrected. And I, I for one, hope that 33 is not the number. Because <laughs> I go back and look at pictures of me at 33, and I'm thinking, that's not glory. <laughs> But um, J.R.R. Tolkien also tried to take a stab at this in his tale of Aragorn and Arwen. What will the future glory look like? Well, we're told when Aragorn, you know, the, the king, when Aragorn dies, he's laying in state. You know, he's laying there for all of his subjects to see. And we read, Then a great beauty was revealed in Aragorn, so that all who after came there looked on him in wonder, for they saw that the grace of his youth and the valor of his manhood and the wisdom and majesty of his age were blended together. And long there he lay, an image of the kings of men in glory, undimmed before the breaking of the world. What is Tolkien trying to get across? He's trying to get across something we all know, that there is a, a unique beauty, a, a glory of childhood. And when you go back and you look at the pictures of, of your kids when they were really small, um, it, it almost makes you sad because that, that beauty is gone. Um, but then there's a different kind of beauty, the, the beauty of young men and women who were in their physical prime. It, it's the picture maybe of you in, in your wedding picture where you're in your tuxedo and you're in your bridal dress and you look your absolute best. Um, but then there's a final beauty, and that is the, what we see in older people. You know, they, Tolkien describes it as a wisdom and nobility that you see in them that younger people, they, they don't have. It's the, it's the kind of the beauty, the glory that you see of the picture of your grandfather on the wall. And he, he just is oozing uh, wisdom and, and goodness. And so all of these beauties from these different stages of life, they, they're all glories and in this life, all of these glories are spread out across our lifetimes so that we can never capture them at one moment. But when, when the seed gives birth to the flower, when the seed gives birth to the tree, um, all of those beauties Tolkien imagined will be united, blended together in one. And whether that means that we'll be at that moment ageless, you won't be able to tell our age, um, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we, we will be full of all of the ages combined. There's one apparent problem. What happens to those of us who aren't buried into the ground and don't come up? Uh, and what happens to those of us who are still alive? Because Paul envisions that some Christians will be alive when that trumpet sounds, when Christ returns. And so we get to principle number four. Those dead and alive must be transformed into something glorious in order to inhabit God's new world. And the reason is because the way we are at this moment, um, the flesh that we inhabit, our, the physicality that we, in, that we have right now is simply uh, inappropriate for God's new world. Because in God's new world, you know, all sin and death and, and decay is, is to vanish, you know. It's almost like, it's not just like someone wearing the wrong clothes to a fancy restaurant. It's like somebody who is made of the wrong stuff. We, we are made of the wrong stuff right now. 
made of corruptible, decaying material. We have to be transformed into non-corruptible, undecaying material so that we become people over whom death has no more power. And so in verse 51 and 52, uh, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. That's his way of saying we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Um, The twinkling of an eye. I can only imagine it's just like in a flash, right? How do you know what a twinkling in an eye actually is? Maybe it's like a blink of an eye. But he says there will be a trumpet and it will sound and it will be a trumpet blast that echoes across all of the cosmos and and Christ returns. And he finally puts this world to right. Um, Death is ugly. Death intrudes into every square inch of our lives. Um, The news is always full of stories of people dying tragically and horribly. I mean, sometimes... Sometimes death creeps up on us over you know, years of suffering. It finally takes us. Other, other moments, death just snatches us uh, in, in an instant. But Christianity is alone in the religions of the world that says death is a defeated enemy. No, this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not the way that it, it will be. He says in verse 55, uh, it's kind of the crescendo of the whole section, Verse 55, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. It's almost like he's taunting death at that moment. I mean, how can anybody in their right mind have the audacity to, to taunt death, right? He's, he's teasing it. He's, it's almost like he's sticking, sticking out his tongue and blowing raspberries in the face of death. How can anyone do such a thing? And the answer is any Christian can do such a thing. Um, We have the power to do that because Jesus Christ has broken the bands of death. Um, Just as death, it was impossible for those chains to hold him down. Um, And as a result, because we're united to him, uh, it, it it cannot harm us. If Jesus died so that you don't have to pay for anything in your past, and he has risen to be your living Savior, Paul's point is nothing ultimately bad can happen to you. Death can do nothing to you. And that's the confidence that he, he wants us to have. Um, look, and I'm going to stop, stop here. None of us came to church today pro- probably um, worrying or thinking a whole lot about our death. Unless we you know, got some test results back this week and heard some really bad news. Uh, it's not the foremost thing in, in our mind. But we all know that it will be one day. <laughs> Um, and we don't know when that day will come. George Herbert is a famous a Christian, uh, an English poet of the 16th century. And there's a, a poem of his that contains a dialogue between death and the Christian. And, um, and, and here's how it goes. Death says, um, death says, let losers talk, yet thou shalt die. These arms shall crush thee. And the Christian says, spare not. Do thy worst. I shall be one day better than before, though thou thou so much worse that thou shalt be no more. I know it's a little archaic, but 
if you read between the lines, that is 16th century smack talk. <laughs> that is throwing shade, right? That's, it's like, come on, Mr. Death, bring, bring it on. As you reach your hands out to strangle me instead of breaking me, you'll, you'll make me into uh, something that I, I've, always, I've always known I, I was supposed to actually be. And so I want you to remember that. Um, and I want you to be able to give that encouragement you know, to others who are staring it in the face that, that Christ is the gateway through, uh, through death. And the worst thing that can happen to you in this life is that you die, but it will create more power and glory in your life than ever before. Maybe, I, maybe you don't have the clearest picture of what your resurrection body is going to be because it's not the clearest passage, but, but can't you see enough to see that that it's going to be wonderful? You know, for the Christian, uh, I love somebody put it this way, for the Christian, death is a dark tunnel that leads into the ballroom, that leads into the dance. And so we can spit back in his face. What, what can you do to me? You, you weren't able to hold Christ down, and you won't be able to hold me down either. either. You know, you, you, you bid death scorn. You, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, and you sing it in his face, and, and you spit it in his face. And then after you've done all of that, you say, verse 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.